You're listening to The Togetherings, hosted by the Alaska Humanities Forum. The Togetherings are recorded conversations with Alaskans from all walks of life, sharing their perspectives on big questions that touch us all. Each series shares a common theme that is explored across episodes. Hello and welcome to The Two Gatherings, hosted by the Alaska Humanities Forum. This is Simonette and I'm your co-host in this episode with Rayette Sterling, representing the Anchorage Public Library, our partner for this conversation series on the library as public commons. Rayette is the manager at the Mountain View Library in Anchorage. Hi, Rayette. Hello, thank you for having me. This is the third conversation of this series about the library as public commons, and today we are going to talk about library as access to information. Before we start, we want to acknowledge that we are recording these conversations in Anchorage, Alaska, on the Nainan land. So to talk about library's access to information, we have two guests with us today, Rebecca Mormon and Julie Varee. Rebecca, would you like to start by telling us one or two things about that you think are important for people to know about you, who you are, what you are, and why this topic interests you? Okay, sure. Um, yeah, I'm the, um, I guess I've been a librarian almost 30 years, oh my gosh, um, in Alaska, <laughs> um, more than half of that time. Um, I manage technical services at the UAA APU Consortium Library, and that includes, a variety of behind the scenes functions, including cataloging, print journals, newspapers, um, and so on. Um, and part of why I like working at University of Alaska is that it's an open enrollment university. And the idea of the library as um, sort of the people's university has always just resonated with me. And the fact that I can work at a university where anyone can take a class um, it's just, it, it really feels like sort of a land of second chances. Um, as long as somebody is interested in learning, you know, we can help help put them together with what they're looking for. So, um, and just, I just want to throw out like one of my favorite quotes um, from librarian Joe Godwin, which is a truly great library contains something in it to offend everyone. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah. Anyway, okay, I'll stop. <laughs> Thanks, Rebecca. Julie, would you like to tell us a couple of things that you want people to know about you and why this topic is important for you? Sure. I um, do not have 30 years experience like <laughs> Rebecca, which so this is really fun for me and I'm glad to be invited. I actually had a um, 35 plus year career in philanthropy and development and a few years ago decided I would finally uh, go back to school to get a master's in library and information science. I did that through University of Washington and was fortunate enough to um, move into a different position here at the Anchorage Museum where I was part of the development team and a position was created with the museum's library and archives to take a look at gaps in the collection and stories of community members that were missing from the archives. So I'm the community outreach archivist um, and I've been in this job for about a year and a half. Would you tell us what's um, in your like personal vision, your personal point of view, um, 
the library's law, role in providing access to information? Like, and I guess you're working uh, different contexts, uh, but mm. what's the, uh, what that, what does it mean? Rebecca, you want to go first? Okay. Um, like I said, I work at an academic library, so our main function is supporting the programs of the universities that, that we're the library for. But I, I think it's always important to, to really collect across the subject spectrum as far as points of view. You know, we really try to, it, it can be easy for, for librarians to have their own biases, but, but, you know, we need to be broader in, in what we collect than, than what, you know, we personally believe. Um, I don't know. Am I, am I answering the question you asked? I think when I think about access, um, I think a lot about um, intentionality and also, you know, it's, it's great to have these wonderful collections, but if people don't know what you have and how they can experience it, um, you know, then they're just these, these things that you're holding on to and not sharing with people. So I think uh, coming from an archives perspective, there's um, a lot of stories that we're telling through um, objects and photographs and um, personal papers and all the things that you use to tell the story of a community. And part of making them accessible is inviting people, being very intentional about inviting people to interact with the collection and also having this environment that's welcoming. Um, one of the things we've been working on here at the museum is um, the space. It's the Atwood Resource Center, which is on the first floor of the museum. And a lot of people pass right by it. It's by the uh, when you first come in through the main entrance, it's right to your left, but a lot of people don't know what it is uh, and they've never been in here if they're not a researcher. Um, so we work a lot with our staff that uh, are researching for exhibitions, creating exhibitions, and then researchers from around the world um, who want information about Alaska. Um, but now one of our, um, one of our, big um, emphasis is making the um, resource center welcoming to people. And so I think to do that, which is so linked to making collections accessible, is asking people what would make this more interesting and accessible to you. So knowing the community and knowing what kind of environment will um, invite them to um, access your collections, both in person and online. Um, so I think knowing the community is such a large part of that. I kind of love that you guys, um, Rebecca, you're a cataloger and Julie, you're working on access. And it's really an interesting blend there because we have to have both, right? One, one of the things about access to information is how do we make things findable? which is one of the big jobs of libraries is how do I help you find what it is that you need? Um, Rebecca also brought up that point that when we talk about access to information, it's not just our opinions or our own beliefs, it's access to the broad spectrum of information. Absolutely. So um, I just, I find that really, really interesting and that you're sort of 
approaching opposite ends of that same continuum. We have to like collect the materials and gather it and do that outreach to um, people we might not ordinarily see and provide a way for people to find that so that we can make things findable and how that includes the, the welcoming piece so that we are a space that people want to come in to find information. Um, so I'm really, I'm really kind of uh, interested in that and how, how do we as libraries as place as that public commons, right? The idea that we are libraries are where everyone gathers together to mingle and share ideas. So how does how does that kind of impact your vision for what access to information should be or what that your ideal of what that would look like in your world? You know, part of part of what I do and and you know other catalogers is we're not as we're, we're kind of um helping people be able to find things themselves, right? Um, we're, we're really trying to make sure that that we have records in the system that help people find what they're looking for when they're not gonna come and ask a librarian for help. They're sitting at home, they're online, they're in their dorm room, wherever. And um, yeah, it, it's yeah, the terminology that's in use, you know, the, the subject terms is prob problematic in a lot of ways. And, you know, we've got different efforts going on to, to improve on that. Um, um, my gosh, I keep feeling like I get halfway through that and then I sort of. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, uh, I, I like the whole sort of give and take. I mean, um, there's just a balance between trying to guess what, how people are going to search for things, but it, it really helps to actually interact with patrons so that, um, you know, catalogers can't just be completely removed from the people they're serving, you know, um, there's got to be some sort of communication channel. Um, I agree with that. And I, um, when you were talking, Rebecca, I was thinking about the fun actually of that uh, conversation with someone who's looking for information. And sometimes it starts out this really broad, you know, like I want to know about Nome, Alaska. <laughs> so, you know, we have to say, well, you know, so we have more than 800,000 images um, from across the state. So what about Nome really interests you? What is it? Um, that you're really interested in learning more about or or taking a look at. And um, I think that interaction with people who want to access the information, that's some of the most rewarding part of the work um, and the most fun. And then I also think it's interesting, um, you had talked about um, how much assistance people want in terms of finding, you know, that you're trying to help people find things themselves. And we find that too in archives that there are people who really just need to be directed, you know, pointed in the right direction. And they enjoy finding what they need, you know, once they have access to where it is. And then there are other people who really um, want us to pick out things for them. Um, so I think that's some of what makes it interesting that people are so different in how they want to find the information. And I guess uh, access to information in Alaska can be a bit tricky because many people live in rural communities and I wonder, how do you deal with that? This one thing that we do have going on is, um, which kind of sort of 
addresses your question, sort of. Um, the Alaska Library Catalog now is, um, we have a shared system between um, about 87 public academic special and K-12 libraries around the state. And so you can be an Anchorage Public Library, you can be here, you can be in, well, not Nome, but um, you can be in, you know, Keavik and easily see what materials are in the other libraries in the state and place a hold on something and get it sent to you. So we've, that's really expanded access um, around the state to, to, um, you know, getting, getting materials to, to folks in remote places. You know, and I also, I think library professionals in Alaska are pretty collegial. So sometimes, you know, it's, it's easy to know what someone else might have or know that so that you can direct someone to another repository or another institution or to online resources so that they're accessible from anywhere. And I totally agree that the library community is really, really close in the States. Yeah. yeah. There's, it just has a really long, you know, the state library and, and um, just all of us have, have a really good, long history of working closely together and, mm -hmm. you know, cooperatively, you know, collecting. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's a really yeah. good thing about libraries in Alaska. And, you know, I think libraries have, are always really good about sharing. I think that's one of the tenets mm -hmm. of librarianship really is how, I mean, we have shared catalogs. We've had them for a long time. We share resources. Right. Um, it, it's just kind of part of part of what we do is, is we're in the business of providing people access to information and sharing that. Mm -hmm. um, some of that is, you know, nobody can know everything. I used to tell my kids when they were little, everybody knows something you don't know. And it's the same <laughs> with libraries. Everybody has something you don't know. So the, the best right. part is when you can share and ask that question so that we have this right. just really broad depth of um, information that we can share. You know, and I think even though I, th I think it's safe to say all of us really still like researching ourselves, <laughs> but, you know, sometimes it's great to pick up the phone and talk to another librarian or archivist and, and be guided yourself, you know, in a different direction or in the right direction. So I think you're right, Rhea, just that sharing of information um, is, is really solid in our state and in our profession. And yeah, and just to add on to what Julie said, I, I think that's true. So many people who are librarians are just, are curious people, you know, mm -hmm. and we want to learn things and we want to help people find what they're looking for. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I'm sure, you know, many people have stories about, ah, that question and that patron, and you couldn't really quite find what they're looking for, but after they left, you just kept at it, you know? <laughs> And then yeah. it's like, ah, I found this great resource. I hope they come back, you know? Yeah. Are you ever concerned with a great amount of information that is circulating, especially online? Sure. A, a big thing that we, it, there's been a real shift. I mean, in, in the past couple of decades from, you know, we used to have this model of, of you know, trying to find some really, something really different. Let's see, we've, we've switched from, you know, things being hard to find to being so bombarded and overwhelmed with information, it, 
you really have to um, be able to understand information literacy is the, is the kind of jargon word, but how to, how to evaluate what you're finding and how to tell the legitimate from the illegitimate information. And, you know, there's kind of librarians have, have long had these um, different areas. I mean, accuracy and currency and authority, you know, sort of ways to look at, at information to evaluate, you know, is the, is the source biased? You know, what's their point of view? Um, who is this person who claims to be an expert? What's their, mm. what's really their, their background? Um, and we've moved into really teaching that to students and, and it's, yeah, it's just a real shift. It's a real shift, you know, since the flood of information on the internet has been around that it's not about, we're not so much teaching how to search as we're teaching how to find. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was, um, I think that's all true, Rebecca. And I think the flip side of having so much information is, I think it helps encourage people to not rely on a single source. So yeah, there's, there's lots of information out there, but it also means you can find different perspectives um, you know, if you're willing to do that, which I think is just critical um, to not rely on one source of information. Kind of that, that curiosity that, you know, the, the question is, how do they know what they know? And why do they want me to know what they know? <laughs> which is just sort of a boil down into a nutshell, right? Is how do they know what they know? And why do they want me to know what they know? Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think that also sparks that sort of... Um, that curiosity that Rebecca was talking about that I think, I think as people who, who help people find not search because the search part is actually kind of easy. You can just Google it. Right. Um, but the finding of accurate information um, and how we provide information um, that gets us out of, as Julie was talking about, gets us out of that confirmation bias. Cause I can find lots of stuff by people who think like me, but how right. do I find stuff by people, credible things, by people mm -hmm. who don't necessarily think like me and how do I, you know, how do I sift through that and allow those things to exist so that I can form my own opinion about an idea, which I think is, is, uh, that's kind of the, the, the beauty of libraries is that we, we, uh, we get to help with that process. Mm -hmm. And how are different sources of information providing context, um, for that information as well. Um, it's something that we um, uh, continually bump up against with historical photos, historical images that we work with here in the archives. Those descriptions uh, really need context a lot of times. And so that also I think is the responsibility of a repository like ours and libraries in general, um, that's part of that multiple perspective issue that you're not just putting something out there, but helping to provide context so that people can think critically about the information they find. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, some of the, um, there are books that get into the, the public awareness, like say recently there were, there were some Dr. Seuss books that the, um, publisher decided to stop publishing and 
you know, there's kind of a lot of a lot of uh, outcry about censorship or something, and and you know, it was really just an economic decision. Um, but whether or not libraries retain those books, it, it really kind of depends on the context of the library, you know. And, and mm-hmm. um, like I I went and looked on our shelf, and oh, we still had a couple of those books in there. They're actually in really terrible physical shape. They've been repaired with duct tape or something. I don't know. It's, <laughs> you know, ancient and falling apart. But something that has, um, you know, like all, you know, really kind of offensive racist imagery, you know, to, to exist in an academic collection where, you know, our students may want to study that and compare that to how how things are are you know published now i mean that makes more sense than you know a public library collection of books for kids you know um mm-hmm. those are not really the greatest thing for kids to find now you know mm-hmm. uh, but in the context of an academic collection um there's it, it, it it's it's kind of you know it's related to what julie was talking about the context you know um, I can I can understand us, you know, retaining some of the some of the just more offensive things that don't really belong in just a regular public library circulating collection. Hmm. I think part of um, access to is providing community members access to help um, provide context for materials that. A library has so um, you know interventions by community members that can help make information that people access richer by helping the institution provide that context, um, which is less directive, you know, on the on the institution's part, and also goes back to something Rayette said about. Um, you know, we can't all know everything. None of us knows everything. And so taking um, the opportunity to uh, help people experience expertise from community members outside of the library, you know, is also another aspect of access, I think, that um, is part of that intentional part of providing information for people in the community. I guess I'm curious about what you're talking about, Rebecca, and kind of the nature of more sensitive materials. One question that comes to mind, is the library an opinionated place? Well, sure. I mean, we, we've got all opinions, right? <laughs> um, you know, back to that that quote about, you know, a, a great library contains something in it to offend everyone. You know, I, I, I definitely... I like I, I like the idea more of you know having things on the shelf available. Um, if we can put, I mean, there's definitely terms that we can use in the catalog um, about which I just can't you know remember exactly off the top of my head. But um, to kind of identify materials is um, you know by today's context not the greatest you know, but you know, we we keep it around for this historical context. Um, but as far as I really have never liked the idea of keeping things in a special place where you have to ask for mm-hmm. it. You know, I mean that mm-hmm. can be. A, it it just 
I mean, whether it's whether it's Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue or, you know, <laughs> whatever. I mean, there's just, you know, a thousand things. I, I My first library job was in a, a Jesuit university. And back in the day, I mean, you know, decades before I was there, they used to have this restricted room, you know, and like I, I found notes on a card. You know, it's like, what's this about? Oh, yeah, that used to be behind this locked desk and you had to go and ask for it. So, you know, sensitive materials that are that you have to go ask for, those are not accessible, you know. Right. Um, I, I just never liked that idea because you're trying to protect. I don't know. I don't know who you're trying to protect you know um but the people who want who want things that are sensitive are all the less likely to ask for them if, if they're you know back in some guarded place locked space yeah. yeah i think it was just a couple weeks ago we were looking through some images in our collection and i found this image of uh, people in blackface and, and also some people, um, um, it was some celebration of something, which wasn't that many years ago. And there was a woman dressed as Aunt Jemima. So we had this conversation, like, should we, should we mark this so that people just can't find it? And we decided, no, but we need to add some information. <laughs> you know, it can't just be part of this collection about this period of time in Anchorage. We need to add some kind of context to that. So we're working on um, things like that in our descriptions and in how we make things accessible so that they're not just out there uh, without any kind of context. Um, and you know, sometimes you get surprised when you have a large collection um, you don't even know that some of these things are still in your collection. Language, too. Um, I was thinking about the issue Library of Congress is dealing with now with the illegal alien subject heading. And I think sometimes things are labeled or things are included in descriptions that you may not have looked at for a long time. So to constantly be thinking about that, I think, is very important work. Um, around making materials accessible and information accessible. Yeah, and that's really kind strange. of. The, oh, I was just thinking the Library of Congress. Um, yeah, there's there's basically all kinds of efforts going on now to kind of work right. around the Library of Congress subject headings because they've kind of gotten their hands tied. They they've it's it's gotten it's turned into this political issue. Right. And, right. They are not changing much, you know, so more and more grassroots efforts are going on to just, you know, replace terms in catalogs. Mm -hmm. So that, that actually brings up a really interesting issue because libraries are, um, I mean, it's part of the, uh, the American Library Association Bill of Rights is that we provide access to information. But oftentimes, because of our stance on let's provide context, let's get this out to people, that becomes a political issue because of however people interpret that information, right? So it's even even that um, I think as a profession, librarians sometimes take a lot of heat because we want information to stand on its own. So we will provide you context, we'll help provide people access to things and give them the information. But I don't necessarily tell people how to think about it or what to do with it. 
right? Mm-hmm. And 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 that in and of itself is, you know, um, um, so I, d- I don't know that librarians are um, neutral. I think we are activists in our efforts to provide information to everyone. Absolutely. Um, which is an interesting nonpartisan stance in that it is definitely an activist approach. We provide information to everyone and we provide as accurate context as we can for that information. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, the neutrality thing comes up all the time. And I, I do think that one advantage to being at an institution with a very clear mission is that we can take a stand around multiple perspectives that part of our mission is providing multiple perspectives. So where in that provides context for information, that's how we can be activists in our work. That, um, you know, we do take a stand that we're not gonna have just something floating out there, you know, that, that um, we haven't provided other perspectives on in our collection. And in the information we provide, I was I was trying to remember the details, but um, I'm pretty sure it was the Intellectual Freedom Committee of uh, uh, American Library Association at the last conference uh, released this paper, and I, it was just it was articulated really interestingly. You know that libraries libraries are not neutral. Um, you know we try to be neutral in in you know, the materials we provide, you know, be kind of, um, but but it, it articulated rather than think of ourselves as neutral, um, our goal should really be um, radical empathy. Mm. I like that that term. Well, it sounds like that I see it, at least the way I always interpreter seen or experienced the library is, is not a place that is trying to protect me from anything, from information, just allowing me to discover what basically I want to, like if it's in the capacity of that specific institution. Um, so, yeah, but I guess this is a very interesting and sensitive uh, matter. Um, are there specific conversation occurring now within the library um, system within the institution that are relevant like i mean one of the things like access to information has to do with social justice and you know what are some i'm curious to hear if there are any conversations happening that are relevant within the library i mean one thing i i think of that's been a trend in the last handful of years um is libraries getting rid of overdue fines fines have never been a very big uh, um revenue stream for libraries, um, but they they have, what has happened is that the people will rack up fines and then never come back to the library. So um, it's really like a, a, an access issue, you know, and an equity issue of yeah. um, just keep the people, you know, the people who are the most likely to keep away from live, you know, stay away from libraries because they ended up with fines tend to be the people we want to help the most, you know? <laughs> so um, I think that's a really positive thing that's been happening in recent years. I think in archives, um, there's been more of an effort to um, 
invite people to tell their own stories. So it's not collecting materials that we think tell the story of this community or this organization, but um, building relationships so that people want to share their stories from their own points of view. You know, people should be able to tell their own stories and, and that you should have materials that they want to share um, and that, that they feel authentically tell the story of their history in a community, um, the, what's the work they're doing now in community. And um, so I think that's different in terms of how materials are collected and added to um, collections in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I also think there is um, a bigger movement now in archival collections to take a look at the gaps. So if you're telling a community story, you know, who is missing? And then, and then how do we invite those stories so that it really is telling the whole community story and from people's own points of view? So I'd say that's social justice work that's happening with archives. I think another thing too is to support um, community-based archives. So it's not about getting people stuff and adding it to this traditional repository like in a museum or in you know a state archives, but um, when people choose to keep that information and those materials in their communities that we support that and that social justice work also. So can we be serve as consultants or just listen to what people need to keep those materials where they want them to be so they can make them accessible to their own communities? Um, so I think that's a big part of the social justice work. Another thing that's been going on, especially with, with kids and youth books is, is a lot more um, voices being represented. And, you know, there's, there's just so, so many, um, so many stories of people, you know, who never saw themselves in a book when they were kids, you know, and, and there are a lot more diverse authors, a lot more, you know, diverse characters. And, right. you know, unfortunately, a lot of those books end up being challenged. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, that has also been something that I never understood. People who, if you don't want to read something or you don't want your kid to read something, okay, don't read it. But for someone to think that no one else should read this and it should be removed from the library, uh, that that just always, I, I just never, ever understood that <laughs> personally. Um, yeah. And I guess you also work in, like, I guess like the, when somebody goes to an archive, there's a lot of intentionality usually that comes with that. Often to go to an archive, you have a specific research going on. You have mm -hmm. to make an appointment. Like the library is more like, for lack of better term, like more generic uh, interaction. And so I wonder, um, how does that play? What, what, you know, what kind of, maybe that plays a role in, in you know, because like your business re relies on curiosity, basically, right? So I just like, uh, I don't know, it's this very intentional curiosity and generic curiosity of just, you know, if there's anything that really uh, stands out with, of these two, let's say, dichotomies and mm. in terms of 
access to information, you know? Maybe my question is a little bit convoluted, but sounds like you, <laughs> you're saying yes. No, I know what you're saying. I think, uh, I, and that may be something that goes back to that last question too. I think more archives um, like ours are trying to, again, create that environment and have collections and materials that go back to something Rebecca said about people not seeing themselves and children not seeing themselves in books. And so we think a lot about, um, you know, do we have collections about community members so that when they when they do express this curiosity outside of research, you know, just informal ex exploration, is there something here where they can see themselves um, as community members? And I think, um, uh, you know, this moving away from thinking that we're only for researchers or, or authors, um, you know, or even just um, our staff members is, um, you know, expanding public hours. Um, we're in a great location for people to wander in, you know, and they do pre-COVID when we were open to the public. Now we're open by appointment only. So that's been a little disappointing right as we're launching this work to be more accessible to people who aren't researchers. But, um, you know, just finding ways to help people feed that curiosity that they have when they may not be really intentional about one topic or one period of time or one part of Alaska that they want to learn more about. So I think it's that's the connection between our two um, types of um, information providing. And somehow I, I kind of thought of, um, I was picturing the you know, freshmen, students who have to write a paper and they come to the reference desk and they, yeah. you know, I just need three articles. And it's like, yeah. well. <laughs> now. And I need them now. My paper is due tomorrow. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And they'll, you know, just, just limited to the first three they get, you know. And, and yeah, there's this, you know, sort of trying to help them get more interested in what they're writing and, you know, maybe try to help them um, find the aspect of the topic that really appeals to them. It's funny. It's, uh, yeah, it's some, sometimes that's easier than other times. Yeah. I think there's that encouragement of curiosity, right? That's really kind of, um, I, I think you're right, Rebecca, librarians are in general curious people and we encourage others to be curious about, you know, how, how do I Find this out, or what's 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 beneath the surface, and I think that's um, that also contributes to the vibrancy. I think there is in libraries is that it's just there's always a question there, and there's always more things to be curious about and to try to, um, uh, you know, I I work at a public library in Mountain View next to middle school, and it's that same you know uh, students will come in with a question, and I'm like, okay, well, tell me what you want to find out about it. Right. Why are you interested? So you can kind of encourage that curiosity and, and encourage that um, how we turn just facts into knowledge, which is that kind of growth piece of what we do, too, which is, is just really kind of fun and, and interesting. And I think it's really uh, uh, one of the more exciting things about library work is watching people turn all of those facts into information and into knowledge, which is eventually, I hope, turns into wisdom and empathy at some point down the line. Yeah. 
And I think just the discovery of something surprising, um, you know, so people can start out thinking this is what they want. And so, you know, they can find what they need, but then there's some little gem in there um, that leads them off to other, you know, some other path to learn about something else. Um, I think that's really part of the fun. So this is a very um, silly question in some way. And I'm curious to know, um, what do people search for in Anchorage? Like, are there any items that stands out as like a people, mm -hmm. you know, look for the, or like the top uh, most searched <laughs> things? I mean, we've got an Alaska collection. A lot of people look for information about different native groups or history of different parts of the state. <laughs> I think it's, it's really all over the place for us, you know. Even with researchers, um, though they can want something really specific, like fishing in this community, fishing traditions in this community, or um, you know, it can be uh, something that you know maybe it's a filmmaker and they want some images of women doing something. Uh, it's um, it's always all over the place. Uh, and sometimes people come in and they want to try to find something about their family, uh, which is really um, always interesting to try to help people. They may just be doing some research um, about family members who are in other uh, Alaska communities. And so that's really fun. That's something that we really enjoy here because sometimes people will find pictures of relatives and family members they have no images of or that they've never seen um, this person. They may have heard stories about this person in their family, but there are no pictures of this person. And it's pretty exciting to be able to provide them a copy of that image um, that they can share with other people in their family who've never seen this person. And so I think it can be something really personal or, you know, it's something, it's, it's a larger topic. Um, that can also be very specific, but um, it's always surprising, I think, what people search for, what people want to find. But the, what you were just talking about reminded me of, I, I think it was um, a CNN story um, within the last year or so. There was a photographer somewhere in Europe, or, or somebody found like a box of slides in Europe at a at a store and there were pictures of Alaska there were pictures of villages and and people on Pan Am airplanes and and they posted this out on like a Google Doc and and um it was this crowdsourcing thing of of people in Alaska were you know, from small villages were going on and going, oh my gosh, that's my grandmother or that's yeah. my aunt, you know, or yeah. I know who this guy is. And, and <laughs> it was just thrilling. I just thought it was so exciting. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, you know, they came to figure out that there had been this, oh, I think it was like a Pan Am stewardess who, you know, had mm. gone on some special trip all around Alaska, you know, and, and, um, in the 1960s or 50s and, and I don't know that that 
his libraries, but you know, archives, history, just all kind of coming to life. And that was yeah. really exciting. We have um, the museum currently has this uh, exhibition, Black Lives in Alaska, Journey, Justice, Joy, and it's all archival materials. Mm -hmm. And one of the um, images in the show is of this uh, black owned newspaper that is no longer produced, but um, it's the Gazette. Is it the Anchorage Gazette or it's the Gazette, I think. And a woman came in, an artist that we know, and she's looking at the exhibition and she stopped in front of this image of the Gazette. And she said, I used to be the layout artist for that, for that paper. And I don't have any copies of anything from then. Do you have more of these? And it was so great because you know, sometimes people aren't looking for something, you know, and then because they're exploring something else, they find something really meaningful to them. Um, so, you know, there's, there's that um, people finding things because they're very intentional about it. And then people just having these happy discoveries, like what you were talking about, Rebecca. That kind of is like the, that idea of library as public commons. It's a place where you can discover, even if you don't know what you're going to discover, which is right. really kind of kind of fun. You know, in um, public libraries, we never know what the questions are going to be. Sometimes it's like right. sometimes people want a phone number for a business down the street. Sometimes they want family history. Sometimes they want the latest J.R. Ward novel. Um, J.R. Ward writes vampire romance. In case you were needed a vampire romance novel, I know how to point you to that. Um, so it, it's kind of a, uh, that discovery piece that I think is something that's in common with all of our libraries and the, yeah. um, the place where you just want to encourage people to be curious. And if they find that thing, help them, you know, go down that road. You know, which is why, you know, to circle back, I think it's so important to have those kinds of environments where people can spend time and be welcome, you know, feel welcome to spend time so that they can make these discoveries, you know, so that you do feel like you can be in this space where you might discover something that you didn't know you were looking for. So I still think that environment is so important, uh, you know, and, and something that's been challenging, of course, with COVID, when we, when we had time when we couldn't welcome people in to just hang out in our spaces. Um, I think that's an important part of discovery. Well, thank you so much. Um, we are close to the end of today's episode. And we usually uh, close by asking our guests, what's one question that you'd like to leave our listeners with? What stories do you want to see told about your community through institutions like libraries and um, archives, what, what um, for you helps make those spaces meaningful and alive? And what can we do better as those institutions to, uh, uh, to help ensure that we're being inviting and also inviting um, requests from you and, and listening to what you need from us as institutions. What else, what else can we do? What do you want to find that, that you can't find? 
I always want to know what are you curious about. Mm. That's good. That's a great one.